Thanks for joining me here on Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, the founder of Bare Bones Yoga. I'm an experienced registered yoga teacher with over 15 years of teaching experience, a certified personal trainer, and an entrepreneur. My mission is this, to help you develop into a purpose-driven, confident yoga teacher, one who truly understands anatomy and how to share it clearly and confidently so that you can help your students learn and as a result, grow your impact and connection. I strongly support and value the uniqueness of all individuals and provide a safe community where diversity is embraced. Through my mentorship and signature program called the Blueprint Learning Program, I help yoga teachers build their skills in the area of learning anatomy, and along with that, help them learn important business skills and personal development ways of being that will transform them into purpose-driven teachers who make a big impact. On the podcast here, you'll get a blend of both anatomy learning, stories from teachers, interviews with others in the field, and a dose of personal development. For more information and to get on the wait list for any of my programs, see my website, barebonesyoga.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I'm your host, Karen Fabian, and this is episode 85. So here we are on Monday, July 13th, 2020. And um, as I had mentioned last time, I, I kind of like starting the podcasts now with just a mention of the date uh, so that we can kind of orient you. <clears throat> Not that you don't know what the date is, um, just more that you may be listening at a different time. Um, I like to record on Mondays at the beginning of the week, especially if I've had some trainings I've done over the weekend. It always gives me a lot of inspiration for different topics to share on the podcast. And I know for myself as a listener of podcasts, I like to listen on Mondays and it just kind of sets me up for some good inspiration and a little bit of kind of continuing education at the same time. So I wanna thank you so much for listening and for spending some time with me today, whatever date your today, uh, your today is. So I did actually have a really fun weekend with a number of trainings that I did um, on Saturday, uh, today, obviously I said it was Monday. And so, um, that's actually why my voice is a little bit hoarse. Cause I was talking quite a bit on, um, on Saturday. Cause I, I just absolutely love getting together with teachers. Um, of course in person is now online. However, online, um, get togethers with teachers. Uh, obviously they're not the same as being in the same room with them. However, I have to tell you in my experience as a teacher and getting the feedback from the teachers who join these sessions, they're getting a ton out of it by their own statements and light bulbs are going off, which is um, a metaphor I like to use because it's so powerful as a teacher when you are, you know, kind of struggling to understand a concept and then you get it and you articulate it and you translate it into the queue. It's just kind of that whole package. And I've had a number of those experiences with teachers over this past weekend, and it's just been so great to see. So I wanna just mention to you some of the takeaways that came from these sessions. And one of them had to do with refining your cues. And you know, there's so much that goes into what we share when we're teaching and how we do that is really kind of a mixture of not only what we know, but who we are 
and kind of where we're at in the moment. Um, and I'll give an example of that. If we're teaching and we're feeling self-conscious, uh, that really will affect our effectiveness around sharing cues versus if we're teaching and we're feeling really present uh, and we're feeling very much like we're there for the students and putting ourselves in the students' shoes, it can be a much more effective way to communicate because now we're not communicating through the filter of our own experience. We're communicating words, cues, in a way that is framed so the students can appreciate them. Again, coming at it from the student's point of view. And we also worked a lot in these sessions with different kinds of cues. And you've probably heard me talk in past podcast episodes, or maybe you've taken one of my free webinars online around the types of cues that are out there. And I classify them into action cues, alignment cues, anatomy-based cues, and feeling-based cues. And in these workshops, uh, sessions over the weekends I did with the teachers in my blueprint learning program, we went through a lot of those different kinds of cue examples when we were working through poses. And it was really neat to see, and it can be really helpful for teachers to think about these kinds of cues, kind of like if you were wearing a tool belt and you're making a decision as a teacher based on what you're seeing happening in the class as to what cue am I gonna, what kind of cue am I gonna kind of use right now? What would be most helpful to the students that are in my class right now? And that can be a really good technique to learn as a teacher because otherwise we're kind of in a very monotonous way just kind of using the same type of cue throughout class or maybe our motivation for the kind of cue we're using is a particular kind of motivation like maybe we want to impress people so we're using a lot of anatomy based cues maybe we're really worried that people are gonna get hurt so we're using like a whole bunch of a mixture of kinds of cues and oftentimes what that does is just confuse the people in our class so it's really really important as a teacher that you not only understand the types of cues it's also that you understand when to use them and that the catalyst for when to use them comes from what you're seeing in the class, not from some script you have in your head, not from some YouTube video that you watched. It's coming from you are present, you are seeing what's happening in front of you, and you're making, as the teacher, a really informed decision about what's gonna help them right now. Um, the other thing we talked about was understandable language for your student students, and just really coming up with uh, highly accessible and understandable cues. For a lot of the postures, you've probably been teaching for a long time. And this really takes the doing. This is not the kind of thing where you can kind of stay up in your head and go to a workshop online and you know hear somebody talk about this. And I know because that was me. It's very different when you actually are asked to teach. And so that's why in these sessions, we had a lot of fun and we had a lot of work around actually practice teaching. And so what I had these teachers do once, you know, we were kind of gone through some of the content is um, I had them do some practice teaching with me. And so I had two separate sessions of, um, of coaching over the weekend. And so in both sessions, I had the teachers that were involved do some practice teaching. And it's always really interesting because you, you know, you can kind of learn the information and then it's a different thing to express it. And in the expression is oftentimes where a lot of things come up for you as a teacher that 
can be helpful to examine a little bit more in terms of the tone of voice you're using, the pace you're using, the word choice you're using, where is that all coming from? You can kind of think of it like when you first started practice teaching and you'd probably been practicing yoga for a while and you might be kind of, you might have kind of assumed, oh, I'll know how to cue because I've been practicing for a while. And then that first or second time you stood up there and tried to teach and articulate the poses you knew you knew in your body, you probably stumbled a bit. And you might have also been a little bit amazed at how hard it was, <laughs> that it was not, or maybe I should not say how hard it was, more so that it wasn't as easy as you had thought, even knowing the doing, right? Knowing how to do the poses. So, um, so this is always a really good uh, exercise for teachers to do. And again, it's where the real value comes. If you're investing in an online learning program, I really, really, really want you to be a smart consumer and be sure that the program you're investing in has a live coaching component. My programs all do because I know that if teachers buy a course, the chances of them actually completing it are slim because life's going to get in the way and they're going to lose their motivation. And additionally, if there isn't a live coaching component, their ability to take what they're learning and put it into practice is also really slim. And also without the live coaching component and without the live support component, like I give, you're going to be out there on your own having questions with nowhere to turn. And I actually heard a story over the weekend or over the week um, of a teacher who invested in a course online they encouraged her to bump it up to a higher level, some you know, higher level that would result in a 500 hour um, registration level. And so cost more money. And then as she was going through it, she had questions and she has nowhere to turn. It's completely, completely online and hands off in terms of the creators of the program. So it's basically buying a bunch of videos and taking a bunch of online tests without anyone to support you and with no life coaching component. So I mentioned that because I really want to be sure, number one, that I let you know my programs are not like that. And I want to let you know how my programs are different. So my blueprint learning program and my mentorship program are my two signature programs and they have all got a live coaching um, component and anytime support from me personally. And um, just be sure when you're out there checking things out, especially because right now with COVID, there's a huge incentive for studios and different teachers and different programs and different organizations to put out there, we've got online trainings. Um, they can't do them in the studio in most cases. There's a huge incentive because they're higher priced. Just be a smart consumer and, um, and make sure you know what you're investing in. Um, and then the other thing that was really cool last week, I don't know if you were on the free workshop that I held on Thursday. Um, it was really nice to see a whole bunch of teachers from all over the world. I had a teacher on from Singapore. It was four in the morning for her when she was listening. Teachers on in the UK, um, different parts of the United States, parts of the Caribbean, Ireland. It was just such a cool mixture of teachers. And when I do these live workshops, I just basically have people keep their mics open and then they ask questions at the end. And so other people obviously are hearing their questions and it's really very much like being in a live workshop. 
So the next one I'm going to do is on the 29th, and I'll let you know later this month how you can sign up. When we did the workshop this past week, I did focus again on cues because it is the main vehicle we use to teach and also presented my system for understanding cues. And so that was the topic. And um, if you did miss it and you want to grab some of the content, I have an ebook on Amazon that's all about the system for understanding cues. All right. So for today, what I wanted to do is talk about a particular topic around muscles. And I want you to think about when you're studying anatomy and you're trying to learn the muscles, just how does that feel for you? Is that something that comes easy for you? Is it something that's a little bit challenging? It can be one of the more challenging parts of learning anatomy. And we also have to factor in how some people learn. Some people benefit from looking at a book. Some people like watching videos. Some people like live discussion, right? Everybody's brain and processing and learning process is different. And so the tools that they use are, you know, going to be different, or they're maybe going to use a particular kind of tool and then try to retrofit some other kind of tool, retrofit the content into some other kind of tool so they can understand it in their way. Um, and also there's this issue of how to learn the muscles. Should you learn them by parts of the body? Should you learn them by the bones they move, by the anatomical action? Should you just go to the poses and learn them that way, which I actually think is the worst way to do it. And over the years, when I started teaching anatomy trainings, teachers would come to, um, or when I would go to teach the anatomy part, the teachers had already gone through a couple of sessions and they would inevitably have books that the trainings had had them purchase. And there are a couple of books out there where the muscles are presented in the poses However, if that's your first introduction to the muscles, in my opinion, it's really the backwards way to learn muscles. In my view and in my programs and the way that I present it to teachers is I teach the muscles first. It's really hard to conceptualize the muscles and their concentric action in the poses if you don't understand in isolation what the muscles do. Um, just completely on their own. And so that's a good starting point if you're starting to think about taking on this topic of learning the muscles. And it really is, mo when I think about all of the key aspects of anatomy, it really is the biggest chunk um, to, to learn the muscles. So what I wanted to do today is give you some different frameworks for learning muscles. And, you know, if you're feeling a little bit stuck, maybe some of these different frameworks, something will hit home for you. And that can be a path that you pursue. So, um, and then just one other thing, just to kind of throw in there another justification for this conversation we're having. Just this idea that, you know, when you're out there teaching and you're using any kind of cue that's anatomy based, and especially if you're using cues that are muscle reference cues, like see if you feel your blah, blah, blah stretching or see if you feel the contraction of your yada, yada, right? It's, I mean, it goes without saying, but you really should know that you're referring to the right muscle. And I know that there are a lot of times that cues are kind of picked up and passed on from person to person. And there's an assumption made that that person understands. 
So just be sure that if you're going to refer to muscles, muscular actions, muscle placements um, in postures, you really, you really know it, right? Um, otherwise, there's plenty of things, like I was saying earlier, plenty of things you can cue on that don't require you talk about the muscles um, that are just as effective. Action cues and alignment-based cues are really, really, really effective. Um, so I would say stick with that, give yourself time to learn the anatomy, and then integrate the anatomy-based cues. So here are some kind of frameworks and steps you can take to learn the muscles. So the first thing is you'd want to identify the muscles you want to know. And it sounds kind of obvious. <laughs> the reason though that I mention it is because, you know, I talk to a lot of teachers. There are teachers that evaluate my programs, they're on the fence about my programs, so I get into conversations with them about that, or I'm talking to teachers in trainings that I'm doing, or you know, just on social media, that kind of thing. There is no shortage of content out there for you to learn the muscles. There are books, there's videos, obviously online courses and that kind of thing. However, what's gonna differ from book to book or course to course or video to video is the level of detail that they go into. And one of the things that I want to just throw out there is, you know, there are a lot of muscles in the body. And so depending on what resource you're using, you may be presented with all of them, some of them, a particular slice of them. And so I think one of the frameworks to consider is what's the point for you of learning the muscles and of course the point is for teaching yoga and so once you hone in on that your knee-jerk reaction might be well that means i need to know everything however i'm going to suggest you don't definitely not at the beginning although over time you might learn a lot more and and to that end i would say learning anatomy is a never-ending process, uh, not only just the learning it the first time, <laughs> but reiterating and reinforcing what you already know, because there's always different ways to learn the same thing. And this is one of the joys I have in teaching anatomy and in having interactions with so many teachers all over the world, is that every time I have a session or a conversation on Facebook or whatever it is, with a teacher, it lights up, you know, my appreciation for how many different ways there are to question the same thing, to present the same thing. So again, appreciate and acknowledge that learning anatomy is a process. However, in the beginning, to kind of tamp down some of the overwhelm that people feel, it's really, really helpful to hone in on what are the muscles you need to know. Now, for instance, in my blueprint learning program, I don't talk to them about every single muscle. I don't present them every single muscle. I've made specific choices around what muscles I talk about and why. So whatever system you want to use, I would just suggest to you, um, whatever resource you're using, course, book, video, process, whatever it is, just understand what your um, slice and dice, you know, what your categorization process is. Are you looking at every single muscle? Are you making some distinction and based on what? What I do is I present 
muscles involved in gross motor movement. So a really good example of that is in the first go around in presentation of anatomy to teachers, I don't go into all the muscles of the hand and the foot. Now you may be like, oh my God, how could you not go over that? That's really important for yoga. Sure, everything's important for yoga because yoga is a movement practice. However, if I go into these trainings and if I go into my programs and offering my programs saying, you're gonna need to learn every single muscle in the body, forget about it, right? It's this tall order. And to what end, right? When I'm teaching downward dog, am I really gonna be cueing to the flexors of the hand? Not really. Now I may get at them, from action cues, but I'm not gonna really be speaking to them on an, from an anatomy-based cue perspective. So again, it's just a, a different approach. And um, you're not, in, in my opinion, you're not losing anything. You're leaving room for that additional growth over time. And the other thing that that does is it leaves you space when somebody asks you a question, let's say they're having some wrist issues, that gives you the catalyst to go off and do that deeper dive. However, you're already standing there as a teacher with a highly, a high degree of confidence around, you know, 75 to 80% of the muscles in the body uh, that are involved in gross motor movement. So that's the first thing, identify the muscles you want to know. The second thing is identify their location in the body. So now you've got your list, you've made your list of what are the muscles I need to learn. Now you're going to say, okay, what's their location in the body? And by location, I mean, you know, you're just going to generally say, this is a shoulder muscle, this is a lower back muscle, this is a neck muscle, this is a shin muscle. You know, you're just going to generally know where it is. And this is really important too, because remember, when you're studying muscles, you're going to get way into the weeds. However, you have got to, you have got to, you have got to be able to make that conversational. If you get way into the weeds when you study muscles, and you lose the ability to just converse about what you've learned, you're going to lose your students because you can't go into your class and use anatomy-based cues that sound like the stuff you're reading in your book. You've got to be able to translate that complex anatomy language to conversational language. And that's what I meant when I was talking earlier about the coaching sessions I do with teachers. That's where that work happens. Many times teachers will come to those sessions and they'll know the literal origin and insertion. However, it will be difficult for them to just converse about the muscle placement in the context and format of an anatomy-based cue. And that's what I mean when I say you can know it. It's a completely different thing to be able to cue to it and an additional different thing to be able to cue to it in an understandable way. And that's what those coaching sessions are for. So you said, identify the muscles, great. Then the next thing you're gonna do is identify their location in the body. And then the third thing is you're gonna identify their general origin and insertion. And when I say general origin insertion, I mean general origin and insertion. Take for instance, the transversus abdominis. That's the muscle that runs around your abdomen and it creates integrity in the abdomen. It's kind of your cinchin muscle. If you look at that muscle from the perspective of origin and insertion, just simply because of its placement in the body, it's got a huge origin and insertion. And you probably could list out 20 uh, places, 20 placements in, in the abdomen where that muscle attaches or originates. Now, is it necessary for you to know that? If you want to take that on, go for it. 
my position to you would be in the context of teaching yoga, no, it is not necessary that you know all the points of origin and insertion. It's really important you know generally where it is, generally what it does, generally what the origin insertion is. Now other muscles are gonna have a much clearer origin insertion. So something like the teres minor is gonna generally be from the, uh, from the scapula to the humerus. Now you can even boil that down to specific part of the scapula to specific part of the humerus, the tubercle on the medial or the posterior part of the humerus, whatever it is, right? So you're gonna, decide, you're going to need to decide. And oftentimes, this is again, where the challenge comes, the teacher doing the studying isn't doing the deciding on what to absorb for for their learning. What they're doing is looking at a resource. And if that resource has all the information, the overwhelm will hit. And that's where teachers get frustrated. And that's often where they say, I can't learn this. And it's not them, it's the tool they're using. And I really, really, really want to impress that upon you. So if you're trying to figure this all out on your own and you're getting frustrated, it is not you. It is the tool you are using. I can't tell you how many times I have conversations with teachers about confusion they have over sequencing and they almost always bring up one particular book. And it's just like, look, there are good books out there, however, you have to take a look at the resource and maybe think it's not that you're having all these questions because you're not getting it. Maybe the resource you're using, and, and I'm sorry, it doesn't matter how many people have the book. It doesn't matter how many people reference that book, how many trainings give that book. In a lot of cases, the reason some of these resources are used over and over and over again is because there just aren't a lot of resources out there for this kind of thing. And so that's why I want to really support you in just putting this out there as an idea. If you are getting frustrated, why not try a different resource? So that's all I'm going to say about that. So let's just review. We said, identify the muscles you want to know. You said, we said, identify their location in the body. We said the next thing is to identify the general origin insertion. So the next thing is identify their primary concentric action. So this is the doer. This is the doer action of the muscle. So it's like, okay, this is the biceps. It's in the upper arm. This is the origin insertion. The doer action, the concentric contraction of the muscle is to flex the elbow. You know, this is a psoas. It's in the, uh, the, the hip region. It runs from the uh, uh, lower back to the femur. Uh, connecting the lumbar vertebrae to the upper femur and its main function, concentric contraction function is flexion of the hip. So just kind of conversational stuff, focusing this last piece on the concentric action. Now note, I didn't say eccentric action. I didn't say isometric. I didn't say passive lengthening, the doer action. Again, this is where honing in, honing in, honing in on what you need to know as a teacher is going to really help you cut the overwhelm that you're probably feeling when you're off on your own trying to learn this stuff. Um, so that's, that's one approach. Uh, identify the muscles, identify their location, identify their general origin insertion, and then identify their primary concentric action. 
Now, another framework I want to present to you is one of looking at um, regions of the body. So you could say, let's look at muscles in the front of the body versus muscles in the back of the body versus muscles on the sides. So if I look at muscles in the front of the body, generally those muscles are flexor muscles. So if I have the psoas, even though it runs from the posterior uh, part of the body, the lumbar spine, it wraps around the lateral aspect of the hip and comes around the front of the pelvis and inserts on the anterior aspect of the hip uh, on the femur. So it's, I mean, I guess you would kind of say it's both in the back and in the front. Um, you, because of the insertion being on the front, I think it's more appropriate to think of it as an anterior muscle. So psoas is a flexor, rectus abdominis is a flexor, rectus femoris, part of the quadriceps is a flexor. All these muscles are on the anterior aspect of the body. If I look at muscles in the back of the body, these are muscles that are typically extensors. So if you look at your latissimus dorsi muscle, which runs from the thoracolumbar fascia up to the medial aspect of the humerus. That's a shoulder extensor. Same with Terry's major scapulita humerus, extensor muscle. Um, what else? Gluteus maximus hamstrings, hip extension, right? That's the posterior uh, lower limb chain, right? So back of the body, extensor. Sides of the body, you can think of these as abductors. So your middle deltoid, your gluteus medius, gluteus minimus, uh, tensor fascia lata, IT band, that whole lateral hip stabilizer chain, um, those are abductors. So that's another framework that you can potentially use. It's only gonna get you so far because we're not really talking about stuff in the middle of the body, you know. So again, it's not gonna get to everything. However, it can be helpful. Also think posterior muscles are external rotators. So you have your whole um, external rotator group of your hip. So your piriformis, your obdurators, your gemelli muscles, your quadratus femoris, those are on the posterior hip. You've got your teres minor and your infraspinatus. Those are on the posterior shoulder, part of the rotator cuff. So back of the body, extension, external rotation. Another exercise that's helpful to do is just to take a person and walk through their body in a body scan way to identify what muscles are where. And this is really where the rubber meets the road. If you're having trouble doing this, um, again, maybe look at the tool you're using. Maybe the tool you're using isn't right for you to learn the anatomy, um, or maybe there's some other barrier that you're facing. If that's your experience, just send me an email and I'm happy to talk about it with you and see if we can't come up with uh, what's the potential barrier and a solution for it. Um, the ability to be able to just stand with a person and just kind of go uh, through their body. You got this, you got that, you got this, you got that. Here's what they're doing. Here's where they generally are. Um, that's really where the rubber meets the road. You just want to be able to talk about it. Like it's just rolling off your tongue. And again, it's rolling off your tongue. Just remember though, I'm not saying you have to identify all the origins and insertions like you're reading in your books because that's not conversational even if you know that how you express that needs to be rolled up into a high degree of accessible language um so oh okay so now that we've talked about different ways to learn the muscles let's look at a couple things before we wrap up so 
I want to give you some frameworks that you can use to present anatomy in your teaching. So one of my favorite ones is the following action cue, action cue, action cue, and anatomy base cue. So this can be a really um, helpful framework, especially if you're a newer teacher and you're feeling a little bit overwhelmed with what to say. It'll give your brain something to use as a script of sorts without filling in the literal words you're gonna use. So you'll still have the freedom to create the cue. It's just gonna focus you on, you know, step your right foot forward, center your hips, reach your arms up, warrior one, squeeze your back thigh and see if you feel the engagement of your quadriceps, right? That, that's just an example. So action, 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 anatomy. And sometimes you might not say the anatomy-based cue, so it might just be all action-oriented, um, or you could potentially stick another kind of cue there. I wanted to focus this framework, though, for you on presentation of anatomy-based cues, because that's often where teachers really want to build their skill. Another framework is you can teach from the ground up. This is one of my favorite ones, um, and I think it, it's just really logical. So it works, I think, easiest when you're teaching standing postures, teaching from the feet up to the hands. Um, however, you can use this paradigm with any, with any posture. It's a very organized way to work with your cueing and it's a really understandable way for your students. Um, again, if you're putting yourself in your student's position, what would be most helpful to them when you're teaching them warrior one and warrior two? Well, probably most helpful that you set their foundation up first, right? And then once you do that, you can work up the body and talk to them about things like their hip position, their spine position, their arm position, their head position in relationship to the body. So, you know, again, once you put yourself in the shoes of your students, that can really inform how you cue and is also a really good way to get you out of your head. So if you're feeling really self-conscious when you teach, if you're feeling nervous, if you're feeling kind of out of your body, um, Put yourself in their position and see if that helps you shift to being more focused on them and less focused on you. And nobody's doing that in a selfish way. It's just, again, the practice of teaching, um, you know, in a way it's not really for the faint hearted, <laughs> you know, you're standing up there and you're exposed and um, you know, you're, you're, you're sharing this uh, information. And so it's completely natural and understandable that you might feel a little self-conscious. The idea, though, is to how can you shift from that self-focused, self-conscious feeling to putting yourself out there and, and um, being in the experience of your students. And the best way to do that is don't practice, right? Don't have a mat up there. Just stand there and just look at them and talk to what you see. And that is a really effective way to shift the focus from you to them. Uh, another um, framework you can use for cueing is one of the kinetic chain. So the kinetic chain is an idea that references how everything in the body affects everything else. And if you think of a chain and links in a chain, if I'm holding one end of the chain and I shake it, it's going to ripple, have a ripple effect all throughout all the links in the chain. Well, the same thing happens in a yoga pose. If I have somebody in downward dog and they're pushing off the ground really, really hard, that's going to affect their arms, their spine, their hamstrings, their calf muscle. You know, it's going to ripple effect all through the body. So that's another framework you can use as you're cueing people, just kind of envisioning their bodies like links in a chain and cue them maybe from the ground up 
And then maybe as you're going through the different links in the chain, you may offer different cues based upon what you see. So this whole idea of frameworks is something that I just want to kind of highlight again, you know, just as we wrap up here, and I've talked about these different kinds of frameworks. These frameworks are all useful for teachers because it adds to the resources that we have to present the information so we can make it as accessible as possible. Right. It's kind of like what I was talking about before. If you're reading a book and you're feeling like you're not getting it, change the book, change to another kind of way to learn the information to help you learn it. And it's the same thing with your students and the same thing with your teaching. If you're just going in and doing the same approach over and over and over again, and yet you're seeing all these different people, the accessibility is going to definitely go down. The more resources you have available to you on your teaching tool belt, the more your teaching is going to be accessible to all. And that's what you want, right? You don't, I mean, I think that's what you want, unless you're teaching, well, let me just clarify, qualify what I just said. There are absolutely reasons to teach in a very niche way if you wanna reach just a niche population. So if I'm teaching primarily um, women who are pregnant, that's gonna require a certain type of cue presentation and a certain type of languaging. If I'm teaching um, people who are um, older, right? So I think you get it. Any kind of specialty population is definitely going to require a particular kind of approach. However, for general classes, accessibility is key. And guess what? When you teach in a really accessible way, risk goes down. When you teach in a highly specialized way, risk goes up. It usually informs the kinds of poses you're picking when you're teaching in a really specialized way because you're just trying to get to those certain kinds of students, usually quote unquote experienced, flexible ones. And the risk goes up with that and accessibility goes down. Now that's not to say that that might not be the way you like to teach. And again, it's a niche, embrace it, love it. That's who you are as a teacher, that's fantastic. Knowing who you are as a teacher is so, so important. And giving up that desire to be the teacher for everyone is so, so important. I just got an email today from someone who I've been communicating with back and forth. And at the end of our back and forth communication, she was looking at some of my programs. She said, you know what? I really feel like the style that I teach and the style that you teach is different. And it's just not a good fit for me. You know what? I love that. I love when people go through uh, an evaluation process and they make a decision. What's, what's challenging uh, for teachers is when they know they have a learning gap, they know they wanna learn something and they sit in that mode of indecision. And I cannot tell you how many teachers I communicate that do this, even to the point where they don't even wanna say no, they just wanna stay in that indecision mode and I get it making a decision is hard for the brain. Think about it. If you are a procrastinator, or even if you're not, anything that you need to make a decision on, it's just easier if we could live our days without having to make decisions. However, making a decision can be really freeing, even if it's a decision where you're saying, no, I don't want that. Because now your brain can move on to something else. It's those things where we're kind of like, I kind of feel like this would be helpful for me kind of afraid of investing in this because it's going to cost me money. What am I really going to get for this? Is this really right for me? And so like your head is just like going through all this stuff and it's completely exhausting. So I absolutely love that that teacher 
we went back and forth a couple times. We talked about a couple things. She was on the fence. She was looking for something in particular. I was sharing what I could offer and she did some due diligence on my stuff. And then she came back and she was like, look, I just don't think we're a good match in terms of the way you teach and the way I teach. And I said, awesome. Love it. You know, hope to continue to just, you know, connect with you on social media. So that's great. So again, I don't need to be the teacher for everybody. You don't either. And embracing that is going to take a whole shitload of pressure off you. Right. Uh, so if that's how you're feeling, like you got to be there for everybody, see if there's something that might be available to you, even just energetically, if you were to potentially loosen the grip on that a bit. Um, now, I want to just say this idea, I've talked about it quite a bit um, on the podcast today, this idea of doing coaching with me and, and kind of working on your cues and, and doing coaching in a way that um, will allow you to kind of put, put your anatomy knowledge into action. I want to share an idea that I had and I wanna get your feedback. So I have this idea and I'm thinking of offering one-on-one -on -one sessions with teachers where I would share with you one of my frameworks for, for providing both action-based and anatomy-based cues. In the session, I would teach you the framework and then you'd use it to practice teach me through a general sequence I'd give you. I'd coach you through the anatomy that you might not be familiar with yet as well. So at the end, you'd have a framework you can use for your teaching, you'd have a basic sequence to teach, and you'll have learned some anatomy as well. And as I said earlier, this kind of active learning is so much more powerful than watching a webinar or even you know the next thing, which is even more passive, watching recorded webinars. So I wanna know if this would be of interest to you. Now, remember, this is only for teachers who are coachable, curious, and open to learning. If you think you know it all, this is definitely not for you. And this is active learning, which is way more powerful, like I said, than watching webinars and going to online workshops. Now, this is gonna be an investment in your teaching, meaning consider it like a training you and invest in, so it's not free. So maybe part of what you could do right now, if you're already kind of feeling like, oh, I'm going to pass, I don't have the money, is I want you to ask yourself, what is it worth to you? Or ask yourself in this way, what is it worth to me if I could learn a framework for cueing and also learn some anatomy? So I'm just kind of challenging you a little bit. Rather than focusing on the cost, let's reframe it and focus on what you'd stand to gain. So if you're interested in that idea, can you just send me a DM or send me an email to Karen at barebonesyoga.com and I'll add you to the list I'm starting. I posted this in my Facebook group on anatomy yesterday and um, sent it out to my email list. And I'm really curious. I love doing this kind of work with teachers. I've seen people make leaps and bounds in their progress and I wanna create uh, an, a couple of small offers that would be opportunities to, to get this kind of coaching. So we are done with, um, with the podcast today. We've reached the end. So I want to thank you for sticking through. If you're still listening, you made it through all the content. And I really, really appreciate your attention and you sticking with it. Um, I want to also let you know that um, I made a whole bunch of things free in the practice portal. So the Barebones Yoga Practice Portal, which is my monthly subscription that I launched last month, 
I just added some new meditations and um, an MFR sequence and a short sequence. And you can just do them for free and, and try it out. It's a really cool platform. It's kind of like, I don't know, Netflix for yoga <laughs> in that it's a monthly thing. It's a monthly subscription. It gives you ongoing content. Every week I'm recording new content for it. And the two meditations that I did last week, I'd love to see what you think. One is on finding your true purpose and one is on productivity. And it's really cool to use meditation in this way. Of course, meditation being a centering practice is great. We can also use meditation as a way to just kind of open our minds to new ways of being and also introduce some themes. And um, I did these two, one on productivity and one on finding your true purpose. And I'd love to have some people go through the meditations. They're just 10 minutes long and see what comes up for you. Um, I'll give you a little hint or a little insider tip. I used a bunch of um, references to techniques used in neuro-linguistic programming. And um, if, you, if you've done any work with NLP or interested in NLP, it's, um, it's a really interesting practice all around how the brain processes information and how it comes out and the language we use. And there's a lot of exercises that I'm learning in my work with an NLP a practitioner that I did in, in the past and some of the new resources I'm, I'm um, learning from. And they're just such powerful exercises that have to, you know, in a lot of cases do with visualization. And you probably know athletes use visualization, you know, business leaders use visualization. It's a really powerful tool. And um, so that's part of what you'll get when you do these meditations. So if you're interested in trying those free classes and checking out the portal, just go to my website, barebonesyoga.com. Right on the homepage, you're gonna see the link to check out the portal. And in, in uh, July, it's only $9.99 a month. So you've really got um, a low uh, bar in terms of the investment. And there's a big upside because there's tons of content that uh, I'll be adding. You'll see the stuff that's coming. You'll see the content that's there. So thank, thank you so much for listening today. I hope you have a really good week if you're listening here on Monday. Regardless of when you're listening, I hope you have a good day. And if you have any suggestions for podcast topics, please send me an email and let me know. Karen at barebonesyoga.com. I'll see you on the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Namaste. Thank you so much for listening to Conversations for Yoga Teachers. I am your host, Karen Fabian, and I just want to remind you, if you would like to get on the wait list for my two premier programs, the Blueprint Learning Program and my mentorship program, all you need to do is visit my website, barebonesyoga.com, and the links to get on the wait list for both of these programs are right on the homepage. Thanks for listening and see you on the next episode.